Welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that always pays its alimony payments for its half-serpent, half-giant children on time, Amanda. We are always on time. <laughs> always on time. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you make that payment this week, or what am I, am I doing that? Uh, I think it's your turn. Oh, man. Okay. Finances are tight. You know, in the quarantine, we might not be spending as much. We might not, might not be living as frivolously, but that doesn't mean I can afford the just simple food budget for my giant child, you know, for our, yeah. our giant offspring. Just the, the, meat, the meat that it requires is staggering. Yeah. We are, as I for mentioned. For two out of the three. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, um, and to think that the, like, the diets of a serpent and a half giant would be so similar, but thankfully they are. It's a lot of just whole oxen. Those yep. mountain, mountain, what are the really hairy bearded ones? I feel like there's some oh, kind of... Sp- uh, yaks? Yeah, like are a... yaks? Yeah, some kind of special Spicy. Scottish yak, I think. There's some really <laughs> hairy ones out there. Exotic meat, hard to hard to get your hands on and expensive. Mm-hmm. If you have no idea what we're talking about, that's okay. You're still in the right place. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary bo- Podcast. I am Travis, and joining me is co-host Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hello. We are a book club podcast that today will be discussing Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, specifically the first half of that work. So when we do book clubs on the show, we tend to take the book we're reading, we cut it in half, uh, figuratively of course, and then today we'll be covering the first half and next week, next Friday, will be the second half. We always release these on Friday. You can follow us on social media. We have Facebook and Instagram accounts that are just at the Lightly Literary Podcast, so follow us there for artwork, quotes, recommendations, updates all the good stuff, and of course, recommend us to friends and family, rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choosing, and really, Amanda, let's get into it, because this alimony isn't going to pay itself. It's true. Though this is not a (laughs) revenue-generating podcast as yet, so never, we got to go do something, I got to go, you know, work the fields or something to provide. (laughs) We are making all these weird jokes because, as I mentioned, we're covering today Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman, and that is a, these are references to that work. This was a book that you chose, Amanda, or you set up for me. I chose it. Do you want to set that up? Yeah. Um, I wanted you to, I don't even remember the the prompt that I gave I you. Do. I think, <laughs> what do you, was it? Do you want me to set it up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It was to pick something that had been remade where the remake oh, is better than the original. Yeah. This was a unique situation for me because I almost never reread things ever. And so the likelihood of me taking an original and then seeking out another version of it is not high because I just I'm like a shark with my media consumption. It's always, you know, just always moving ahead, never, never going backwards or staying still or whatever. But mm-hmm. here it was a unique choice. And I had a couple options that I had in mind here. And the reason I chose this for, one, because Neil Gaiman's such a big name. And I think yeah. I don't know if he's polarizing. He's made some quite esoteric stuff, though, between things like Sandman. And I, I just feel like his whole his whole oeuvre is kind of unique and but he still is really popular which i find kind of fascinating so that mm-hmm. you know we want to pick things people are interested in like to read and know about and i know american gods is a tv show now etc but the other big component was in college i did have to read the poetic edda which is one of the only surviving texts of norse mythology i think there's also a prose edda and so i did have at least exposure to this now the second part of your prompt i really struggled with because you said the new version had to be better Here's the thing, and I learned this when we did our Penguin Review show. I just don't really like fairy tales, fables, or myths very much. I think mythology I can enjoy, but I don't love it. And I remember in college thinking the Poetic Edda was an interesting study, but I certainly didn't think it was fun, and it wasn't some light reading I would do casually on a weekend or something. And so this seemed like a safe bet. I've never read this before, and I, again, would never pick something for this pod that I'd never read. I will always pick new stuff. That's just my reading habit. And so anyway, that's kind of the setup for my end. Like, I I knew who he was, Neil Gaiman. I knew I kind of liked the poetic Edda, but thought it was a bit odd. And so knowing this came out and that he rewrote and sort of repurposed old Norse myths, I just figured it would be better than the original, at least in terms of readability, accessibility, maybe even fun. I don't know. I think that's a a good guess, especially if you're familiar with Gaiman's other writings. He does have, Mm -hmm. like, he infuses his writing with his sense of humor, which is great. So... I would assume, like, because you and I both don't really care for a whole lot of the the myths and the fairy tales and things that just, like, pummel, like, 
morality at you and stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah. I was excited to read this too because I, I'm a, a fan of Gaiman. So. I will also mention it did cross my mind because the other works I had in mind weren't quite as in the popular consciousness as either Gaiman or frankly Norse mythology because of, you know, hard to admit this, but you got to speak your truth. Just the Marvel Universe movies and stuff. Thor, yeah. Odin, all that's Loki. I mean, that stuff is now in the American mind, in the pop culture mind. People know of that yeah. stuff, whether or not they know the origins or not is a different thing. But And there's mm-hmm. also popular, like, God, the God of War video games are now kind of in that mythology. And it just seems like Norse mythology is having a moment culturally for whatever reason in the past decade or so. And anyway, mm-hmm. this was a recent publication and just all the stars seem to align for this. And I'm always looking for... I mean, your prompt nailed this. I'm always looking for kind of make something I don't like into something I like. Let's transform some media, you know, let's change the core of it and fundamentally tweak it. So maybe it appeals to more people or at least appeals to me. So it checked a lot of boxes and we're here to discuss again the first half of that work. Today we'll be talking about, I think the first, was it seven or so myths in the Norse mythology one? The final one is about the mead that is blood. Yeah, the, the blood um, mead. It, it, the last one is the Mead of Poets. Yes, the Mead of Poets is the final one we'll be covering today, and then next week, Friday, we'll post the episode for the back half. Let's just jump into it without further ado. I feel like I set that up for too long, so let's get into the work and start discussing <laughs> it and unpacking it. We'll begin the book clubs, as always, with a fill-in-the-blank, just a fun way to get some ideas out there. Amanda, I will now have you go first, of course. The fill-in-the-blank... Actually, I'll just let you read it, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, you chose the, the fill in the blank. Um, the creature of God that deserves its own story. Um, the creature of God that deserves its own story so far, but hasn't gotten one yet is. And I said, well, any of the, the women really. Um, but he, to be fair, he does warn us in the introduction that the, the female gods and, and giants and stuff like that don't really, a lot of their tales have been kind of lost and stuff like that. Um, but if I had to choose, I would love to encounter a story with Hel, who is um, Loki's daughter of the three um, the three kids that he had with the giant. Going back to the joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Classic. <laughs> yeah, she's the one that's like half dead um, and yeah, yeah. is, you know, becomes the Hades of Norse mythology, I suppose, um, uh, or the, the Satan of christianity um, uh-huh. um but i bet like the reason i chose her is because i bet her experiences are just like really interesting like she's even before she's captured by um odin and is like given her own kingdom under the under the world in the underworld um i think that her experience is just like growing up in giant country like gosh she's like half of her face is like gorgeous and the other half is like a corpse like how did people yeah, react to that? And like, why Why is it that she's not a giant? Like, why does she look so different? And and right. how does that play out? And, like, she seemed really interesting, too, because, like, her attitude towards Odin and stuff was, like, she's almost, like, haughty. And she's just, like, kind of, like, I don't care what you think of me and stuff. I just, I found her really interesting. And I would really yeah. like to. So to far, read more about most her. of the women, when they show up to, I guess, and I don't know how much of this is, I feel like I'm going to say that sentence, by the way, a lot of this episode. I don't know what he's doing to the originals. <laughs> how much is gaming and how much is just was already there. Anyway, so right. let's just get that blanket statement out of the way. You can just apply that to every sentence I say in this one. But the women <laughs> respond to them in very. I think pragmatic and sort of dismissive ways that I found enjoyable. So often yeah. the shenanigans of Loki or Thor are just sort of hand waved or even if they do end up going along with some of their schemes, they are certainly dismissed and considered absurd or stupid. And so I, I enjoyed that element, but yeah, you're right there. None of them have been dedicated to women that I can remember. Yeah. Maybe I'm forgetting one. And yeah, fascinating mm-hmm. figure. The giants, this is another stylistic thing that I think, kind of not plagues the whole work, but is a component of it. The giant, the home of the giants, the land of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many unanswered things, so many weird details we get, but then don't blank. There are so many blanks all over this. That's true. in a lot of mythology where it's sort of, you get snippets, the little oddities here and there, but not everything is explained. And so, yeah, yeah, the land of the giants is one for sure. I'd take a story there. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to go with a creature, and it is the little troublemaking gossiping squirrel that is in one paragraph mentioned <laughs> in regards to Yggdrasil, the world tree, which contains yeah. all the worlds. Um, there's also a dragon at the base of it, Nidhogg, that just eats, that lives in the waters and eats and gnaws at the roots of the tree. But it says the squirrel, Rodas. Rodatosk lives in the branches and it takes gossip and messages from Nidhogg, the dread corpse eater, to the eagle and back again. The squirrel tells lies to both of them and takes joy in provoking anger, which is from pages 39 and 40. I mean, a little gossipy, shit-talking squirrel? I'm on board. I don't... It does seem like they're going to focus all the myths and tales, at least the primary plot-driven ones, on the gods. The... I believe the gods, for the most part, are Anir, and then there's the Veneer. Are those the two groups, or yeah. is it Asir? Yeah, yeah. The Asir and okay. the Ven- the yeah. It Venir seems like story wise that the the myths of the Norse legend or myth are kind of chosen from the gods, which maybe makes sense. They're very human like, but I would love the gossiping squirrel to get its own tale. I don't know what it would gossip about. Probably the gods, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> If I had to, yeah, if I had to guess, but I just thought that was, there are details in there that I think if you get on board with mythology being a bit random and it's not, it's building a universe, but it's not building necessarily a coherent one that is supposed to be justifying itself from within. It's sort of just a more in a tradition or unexplainable things. Then those little details become kind of just fun. I don't know how you felt about things like that. Yeah, for sure. And when you mentioned the squirrel, like I, I thought that was hilarious too. The squirrel could be almost like since it's the gossip monger, it could be the narrator, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> completely. And they, the gods, uh, Lord knows they'd be interested in it. They seem pretty petty so far. Yeah, or at least you know they're they're <laughs> consumed with com- competing against each other, getting revenge, or taking revenge, sort of tricking people, lying to people, all the normal petty god things. Oh, yeah. That it can be in a pantheon of gods. Okay, let's move to surprises then. We call this segment Surprises Pleasant or Otherwise, which is right there in the title. We're just going to discuss some things that surprise us about the work, for better or worse, or for neutral. I'll go first this time, since I know I put it on you. I was surprised that by the Loki component. I didn't know that Loki had children. Again, my touchstones for understanding Norse mythology are either the Marvel stuff or... I guess my vague memories of the poetic Edda, which was just that Loki is a trickster of sorts. But I found that the fact that they had offspring, but they didn't turn out to be godlike or giant-like to be very, I don't know, it was sort of fantastical. And those stories are sort of tragic, especially with Fenrir, the wolf son. I think it was a son. And the way that he is ostracized. And I think... These were the moments or that that myth with his children. I felt like the characterization in that story was really deft. And on the on the review, uh, Ursula Le Guin reviewed this and called it limpid, which I think is a really generous way of putting it. And so I thought that myth was the best way to show that it just kind of it was in-depth enough. It's brisk and it just gets to the traits and gets to the kind of character dynamics conflicts really quickly and presents that tragedy in just such a clear-eyed way and yeah i just found that children's story it it has that fantastical weirdness but also feels pretty grounded and so that was a myth i really enjoyed it surprised me the yeah just the fact that they weren't human like at all surprised me i guess yes it's it's interesting to like the so far anyway the myths that um because in the introduction gaiman mentioned that like he kind of like didn't do all of the myths necessarily, but he tried right, to create right. like a cohesive narrative and to give a general idea of like the the myths and of um, the Norse gods. And what I find interesting is like from the stories that we've gotten so far, it all leads to I think ultimately um, Ragnarok and like, oh, which the you end of, of time. Yeah. yeah, so it's like I yeah. think that's the narrative that he's trying to find because in this story in particular. Fenrir at the end says like you know if you had treated me better than this I would have been on your side but because of your betrayal now I'm definitely your enemy oh yeah and it seems pretty obvious that's going to come back for in Ragnarok especially given the utter yeah the utter imposing strength of him and that's why they Mm -hmm. felt they had to ostracize him and just imprison him really I know it's not a literal prison but keep him tied up how about surprises yeah. for you? Um, for me, I, I I was just really interested. I know that Loki. So my my knowledge of Norse mythology is is super limited um, mm-hmm. to 
really only I knew like Odin and Thor and I had heard of Loki and I knew that he was kind of like a trickster but that was that's it I I had no knowledge of anything else I haven't even seen the Thor movies by Marvel I've seen like two of the what is it called the where they're all in a group together okay yeah Avengers yeah the event that's it Uh yeah (laughs) Yeah. obviously I am uh, in the know no Um, of course of course we're a cultural zeitgeist um, podcast here. We, we, we know we're doing. <laughs> so I've only seen two of the Avengers movies. Um, so that's like the extent of my knowledge of Norse mythology. So what I found really interesting and I was surprised by was just how much Loki is both hated and respected by the, the, the gods in Asgard. Yeah, yeah. They like hate on him and they're like, you're the worst. And then they turn around and they're like, hey, could you give me some advice? We need your wisdom to save our asses. Right. Just right. like it's so funny. And and what's even more surprising is like, but Odin is supposed to be super wise because he did all these things to collect wisdom. But instead of going to Odin, they go to Loki. Like... Yeah, I think he's wise and also d- deeply detached. He doesn't yeah. do much, and all of yeah. his big exploits are off, so off camera, so to speak, to use a euphemism, but or an expression. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm so confused by, and, and also like, why is Loki in Asgard anyway? Like he's, he, he's a giant's son, supposedly. Like they're 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 saying that that's just a rumor, but they're pretty sure, and he's running around with giants. And having monster babies, but he's still, like, welcome in Asgard. And, like, I'm just really confused. There's one um, on page 24. It says, Loki is Odin's blood brother. The other gods do not know when Loki came to Asgard or how. He is Thor's friend and Thor's betrayer. He is tolerated by the gods, perhaps because his stratagems and plans save them as often as they get them into trouble. So I'm just, like, super confused by, like, Loki's presence in Asgard, like, at all. I, I love Loki's character. I think that he's like funny and just uh yeah, he is a troublemaker. Amusing he to me. Well it's been amusing to me how simplistic his cleverness is and so thereby showing kind of how maybe unintelligent or not thoughtful the gods are how kind of thoughtless they can be because when he cracks a genius scheme it's often just a double cross or a lie it's not yeah there's not any you know deep and profound kind of i don't know tomfoolery or trickery happening here it's just sort of and that in the one with with the wall builder it's basically he wrote a really ambiguous contract in a really it's sort of like no i didn't say you know it's sort of when you present someone you you say something like i'll give you cookies and then you give them like you know cookie crumbs and you're like it just said cookies it could have been cookie crumb you know something like it's just a little language twist it's not even that clever it's not some deep scheme he just is thinking on his feet or toes rather all the time and just very is, lawyerly. Yeah, it is. It is kind of lawyerly, but not in the I had to pour over this case and study the history of something for days or weeks. You know, it's not he's not building up cases. This is it's very on the fly kind yeah. of simple tricks of language <laughs> or simple yep. tricks of verbal tricks. And yeah, I just find him. I, I don't know. I guess they all come across as a bit more pathetic than I had recalled, or again, maybe that's Gaiman just trying to make them a bit human, trying to, to imbue them with a bit of humanity. And so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, but it is strange. I, I guess, again, it just stands up in comparison to all the other gods. None of them seem to have better ideas, <laughs> which yeah. is maybe damning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do have one more quick surprise about Thor. He is ultimately a pretty limp and uninteresting guy so far, but that's kind of his deal. He's not supposed to be very intelligent or thoughtful. He just kind of is the bruiser, basher, brawler. But the way conflicts end with him in this collection so far, the surprise is that Gaiman hasn't leaned into that and made it a bit more... I don't know. I guess I'm just expecting comic book-like action, and there's none. It's it's always when he hits something with his hammer and ends the fight, it's basically says something to the effect of, and they never walked again, or they never breathed yeah. again. It just sort of, it doesn't even <laughs> describe what the hammer is like when it hits them or what he does with it. I think he th- it, it does mention that he throws it often, but it it's just such a, 
abrupt ending to those battles and i was just hoping that maybe that was one thing that gaiman would embellish and make a bit more exciting but it's Mm -hmm. really not the focus at all that's a total marvel expectation from yeah just our cultural exposure to what you know north mythology is now but i've just found the parts with thor to be a bit more limp than i expected i guess but you know they did he did go to that wedding that was kind of amusing that that was really amusing and how and how he like ate and was like so not ladylike and stuff just he didn't even care to even try to like act like a lady like what they would think a lady would act like of course just hilarious loki just kicking (laughs) him under the table is he yeah fifth oxen he's so dense (laughs) see even the giants and we thought our alimony was bad even the giants can't provide it's very challenging you know you got to (laughs) bring plates upon plates of roasted of roasted meats you know and whole animals so much food yeah any other surprises that jumped out to you uh no that was the one that yeah i just focused on interesting characters so far and yeah i think could defy expectations i also forgot that loki in the updated things we get culturally loki is often thor's brother not odin's but yeah it does say he's odin's brother right his blood brother which i was like also blood brother does that mean that they like swore a blood oath or is it that they share the same, but they don't share the same mother? No, that's that part I know is clear that Loki's mother is a giant. I think maybe the same father, or I honestly can't recall. The father is a giant, but the mother was a beautiful, slim, very thin lady. Um, oh, but the she was okay. not. Um, she was not a um, okay. Uh, person um a, a giant i thought his mother was lawry La- or lawfrey or something like that Lofi, and she was a giant. who was known as nal or needle because oh. she was slim and beautiful and but sharp. she's she's not a giant okay no his father gotcha. was said to be far body a giant gotcha okay yeah that, that stands that holds up yeah maybe they have the same mother or something yeah anyway Let's discuss something in more depth. We're going to move to the motifs that matter. This is when we each pick a motif, some kind of recurring literary element or story detail that stood out to us in the work that we think is really significant so far. I don't mind throwing mine out there first because it's such an obvious one. And it is just that everyone wants to attain wisdom or foresight (laughs) or, you know, foreknowledge. I don't know if they're doing it well. It, it is one of the primary concerns of the gods so far, so I think it's interesting. It's also intriguing that they have a person who can see everything, Heimdall, who, and mm-hmm. he even knows he's the one who's going to say when Ragnarok is happening. So it's they're so obsessed with gaining predictions about the future and, yeah, foresight and knowledge when they have somebody who's just there. They already have the warning um, sort of alarm installed. <laughs> it, like, yeah. what's the what's the bother? Why know about the future when you already know what's going to happen sort of a thing? It kind of is strange. I mean, there's in the same myth, Odin sacrifices his eye for more wisdom, and then he takes yeah. Mimir, who is, I think, another god's head after he's decapitated, and so he preserves it with spices and herbs or something to... He wants that sage counsel. He wants that good advice. Yeah, and so it's... It is primarily the concern is having worldly knowledge. It, Odin also hangs himself from the world tree, which is a story I thought maybe should be its own, get its own myth or something. So mm-hmm. there's clearly no limitations. They'll endure any, you know, any pain, any indignity to get more. I I guess I'm not sure what to make of it fully yet, except it does seem reasonable to think in an age without, I don't know, things like electricity, the internet, te- books, uh, publication <laughs> yeah, just like ways to get knowledge quickly that yeah if you were gonna admire any higher being or sort of tell tales and look up to certain things that the acquisition of knowledge knowing more being able to predict things and know a future in a world where the future is really uncertain it all seems very reasonable that this is their main pursuit you know that they or they yeah. pursue basic things like defense they go out of their way to have the go out of their way to have that wall built so the giants can't invade them so it's kind mm-hmm. of it is these fundamental early society sort of concerns and so I, I don't think it's surprising but i guess it's surprising to see or has been has been telling the lengths to which even the gods will go to be able to to know more than others, you know? And it, it's not limited to them either. Because the, um, Kvasar, whatever the, however we pronounce mm-hmm. that, the god yeah. of knowledge is sacrificed by those two dwarves who apparently are also dwarves or just dark elves. That's what the yeah. story said. It just said they're, they're dark elves and then later just called them dwarves. So apparently that's yeah. the same thing or maybe a, some kind of subgrouping. Are, yeah. And anyway, but, and so they sacrifice... Um, See, now the name's going to trip me up every time. 
I was just pronouncing it like KV in my mind. You know how I do. You know how I do yeah. it with names. <laughs> I was in my mind. I was calling him Kavasser. Kavasser, yeah, or just maybe the K sound, Vasser, whatever. But yeah, they imbue Vasser. his blood into Mead just so they can get a little bit of. It's not even really wisdom, but just skill with the arts with poetry. And so, yeah, yeah, it's just it's sacrifice all over the place. Blood's being spilled for it. People are you know tearing off limbs and eyes and whatnot to gain a little bit of knowledge and yeah i don't know how you read this as a motif i it to me that's just if i'm reading it in the sort of grouping of old you know ancient myths peoples telling these tales to each other probably often verbally yeah it just feels like makes sense that that's what they would want it makes the gods a lot more human i think in nature Mm -hmm. and more relatable for them to keep looking for um knowledge wisdom and the ability to kind of protect themselves almost right yeah. like the foresight is necessary in order to protect themselves from ragnarok and to make sure that they you know survive it and it's that's a very human worry right i don't i feel like when we look at uh, roman and greek mythology they don't have that same kind of worry of their survival they're just worried about like messing with yeah human and lives, i'll just really. point out it does say here in the in the myth where he gains mimir's head it says soon enough mimir opened his eyes and spoke to odin mimir's advice was good as it was always good odin took mimir's head back to the well beneath the world tree and he placed it there beside his eye in the waters of knowledge of the future and of the past and yeah it's i don't there's not a lot of history giving so far in the stories i don't know have you noticed, do either of the god groups or the giants or any of the groups so far, they don't seem obsessed with past injustices so much? I mean, they when they when tricks are pulled and they're deceived right. and everything, they seek revenge, so they're clearly about vengeance and revenge. But, yeah, it's just, they, they're so obsessed with looking forward. I thought that quote was just unique, that it was sort of wants the, wants the knowledge of the past. I guess it is just a form of wisdom, you know? He wants to learn from the things that have occurred. So, yeah. Yeah. That's true, yeah. And I think, too, with with wisdom, too, a lot of it is, like, the way that you get it is painful um, and often, like, detrimental in some way, even for, like, and, but it seems also, like, once you have attained that wisdom, it's, like, wisdom is is a weird thing where we keep seeing that there's a lot of pain wrapped up in it, death, a lot yes. of like negative yeah. things have to happen before wisdom is gained. So I think that's a pretty important, perhaps. Yeah, and it's it's a telling that lesson that well. the to be able to really acquire it, you have to be a god and endure godlike tortures, hang yourself for nine days, that kind of thing. That it's yeah, yeah. you have to be extra yeah. extraordinary, really, to endure and acquire that sort of gift or that sort of. I don't know, I guess, uh, blessing mm-hmm. in a way. And so, yeah, it's been the motif that I think stood out to me. Yeah. I don't, there's very few of these that don't end with some desire like that. There's the, though the, the son and uh, the Loki's kids and the wedding one, I guess really don't dabble in that, but it's the motif that stood out to me. How about for yours, Amanda? Um, for me, I chose uh, just opposites. Everything has mm-hmm. an opposite um, so far. So in the very beginning, in the first one, when we read about the beginning of, um, Yep. Life. (laughs) There's the uh, mist world, which is actually described as being icy and cold. Um, And then there's the fire world. So you have those two opposites. This was the beginning. uh, This is from page 32. This was the beginning of all things. The death that made all life possible. Here again, we see another contrast between life and death and how those two things are necessary to create something else, too. Um, So I thought that was really important. telling that at the very beginning we also see it in the way that characters are set up so we have thor who is all action all muscle and not a whole lot of brain versus odin and loki who are rely less on strength and more on their their brains to do stuff right and another story of Odin who also uses his um, sexual <laughs> prowess. Um, not, not a lot to do. You know, you got a lot of free time things. and you're just yeah. scheming all the time against other, you know, groups around you. Sure. Yeah. And within the Pantheon too, there's like the gods versus the giants, right? And they also live in two very different 
locations. Then you have the elves versus the dwarves who are called dark elves, right? So we have light versus dark. We have the Asir versus the Veneer, which are two types of gods, but they are warring gods until they are no longer warring, but they live in two different locations as well. And that moment with Mimir, they come to some kind of truce at some point. Maybe not a permanent one, right? They're probably just having ongoing conflicts, but... Yeah, yeah. they're... uh, Yeah, which is... With Mimir's head and everything, too, is a a byproduct of that. And... (laughs) Um, but all these opposites seem to indicate a world that is always in conflict, right? So if it's always opposites, and even though the opposites are necessary to create like a third thing, it's it's the conflict between the two opposites that create that third option or that third world or whatever. Um, and it starts to emphasize too by noticing all these conflicts which is what I or these opposites which is what I noticed it really highlights and emphasizes things that are not opposites and in particular what I'm thinking of is Loki and his children where Loki is he's an in-between thing right he's not really a giant he's not really a god he's just this third thing and then his children too they're not giants they're not gods they're not human they're these monstrosities and it just it really seems to emphasize that when there is something that is not an opposite it really emphasizes that and i just find that really interesting and i want to see how that plays out throughout the rest of the text yeah that's well said and i and i wonder how much of the world that it's established would welcome in those as you put it kind of third options i'm thinking now of the mead story odin goes pretty far out of his way to take that away from the dwarves and make sure that they don't they can't acquire that type of knowledge wisdom or i don't know how you'd call insight i guess because they're not it's not like they get the gift of poetry and they can predict things it's more that they can just make you know poetry make beautiful art or something have some kind of but then again that is a form of truth giving right it's a form of revelation and so yeah he goes out of his way to chug all chug all their mead and take it all from them and it seems yeah that that would be a great threat to to the gods and to their system to kind of the world that they have going Mm -hmm. and yeah no clearer I don't know. It's not even a metaphor, really. No clear establishment of that than the wall one when they trick the giant into building their wall for them. And so, yeah, it's just very clear in and out, you know, us versus them sort of dynamics. The conflicts are all pretty in your face in that regard, too, for sure. Do you find the Thor and Loki thing is intriguing? Do you find Thor to be an interesting character so far? Did you have any elements of him that jumped out or moments for him that jumped out to you? Um... (laughs) What I characterize him as in my mind is just really obtuse and also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, intensely, I feel like, selfish, um, which goes along with being obtuse and not observant and, and stuff like that. So I, I find him not... I think Loki is the most interesting just because he is kind of like such a, a chaotic person. Um but I really like the interactions between Loki and Thor because they are so different. And Loki is obviously like rolling his eyes around Thor constantly. Like I just, yeah, that yeah. I really enjoy. <laughs> they play off each other so well. And I think yeah. it's something that, for example, the Marvel movies have realized is that it's be- they're better together in a sense. Or you can't yeah. sort of having one without the other would be too overbearing. And the, the yeah. scene at the wedding, I mean, it's Loki's scheme to dress them up as women and trick them into going in, proposing a marriage. Yeah you know pretending they were the goddess that he really wanted to marry a lot of forced marriages in this one or at least that's what a lot of people want <laughs> a lot of people want to marry freya <laughs> yeah yeah they keep wanting to marry the beautiful goddesses and stuff that it comes up in at least two or three of these but yeah, yeah and so the way that concludes though is such a thor and loki moment right because loki does all the talking is persuading them talking through their customs and then of course when thor gets his hammer and they finally fulfilled the trick he just says what i say said thor in a voice like thunder is that you should not have taken my hammer and then you know he hit him only once but once was all it took he fell to the floor did not rise again all the giants and ogres fell beneath thor's hammer and so you know it just ends in such a simple thor it's just such a simpleton in the conflict resolution department and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. loki comes in after that and says well you appear to have dealt with the problem and it's you know kind of a bit of snark and a bit of yeah. not sarcasm but you know just a bit of poking and so yeah. yeah i think together it's they make for a fun dynamic you know or at least interesting you know kind of fun one to read but yeah they are they are a bit type cast in a way or they're strong yeah. types archetypes i guess do you find loki to be super 
do you find his cleverness impressive thus far? I guess we kind of commented on that. Uh, not not necessarily impressive, but just right. like he's he's very uh, very sneaky. And it, when I said lawyerly, I think that it's like the lawyers who are the kind of people who will find any kind of like oh, there's the loophole, like that kind of thing. Um, where they're kind of underhanded. Um, not to say that all lawyers are like that or anything like that. I mean, do your job, good for you. So yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> Loki, yeah, is definitely like the the skeezy. Like, I'll find a way out of this. Don't worry, and he'll do for anything sure. to make sure that he's he comes out on top. Very slick, very slick yeah. guy. Or yeah, that's the god, <laughs> giant, half giant, half god. Very slick though. person, very slick. creature. Yeah, creature, <laughs> creature. <laughs> Let's move to the Please Continue Make It Stop segment. This is a segment we only do in the first half of the book clubs as we are still in the middle of the work, still experiencing it, and maybe have some hopes and things we admire about it, but also hopes for ways it could improve. I'll start with my Please Continue. I think when the stories or the myths stop long enough to linger on a moment and to actually dwell in the comedy or pain of it for longer than a, a sentence or two, it's been pretty rewarding. And Granted, this is all very fast-paced, and yes, there are strange jumps in time, sequence, event. Like, I don't think myths are necessarily meant to be fulfilling in that narrative structural way necessarily. These have been readable for sure, but they don't they don't necessarily top to stop to take in the scenery as I would want yeah. them to. But there have been moments when they've done it, and I've, I've enjoyed them. The one that came to mind that I pulled from fifty six to fifty eight or so is when Loki is tormenting the dwarf craftsmen because he does not want them to succeed, and so he turns yeah. into a fly and sort of tortures them. And it takes this moment and turns this little obviously annoyance and really makes it. It sort of transforms this mundane thing into a contest of wills of a heroic proportion and so i think that also pays off in the myth obviously so it fits with the plot and thor's hammer and all that explanation works but i just thought some of those moments and descriptions were were interesting on page 57 it says the black fly circled the room thoughtfully then landed on brock's neck the insect stepped aside daintily to avoid a rivulet of sweat for the air was hot and close in the forge it bit brock's neck as hard as it could scarlet blood joined the sweat on brock's neck but the dwarf did not stop pumping and then later when he is when the 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 final attempt he really gets into him it says Loki landed between Brock's eyes and started to bite the dwarf's eyelids. The dwarf continued to pump, his eyes stinging. Loki bit deeper, harder, more desperately. Now blood ran from the dwarf's eyelids into his eyes and down his face, blinding him. He squinted and shook his head, trying to dislodge the fly. He jerked his head from side to side. He contorted his mouth and tried blowing air up to the fly. It was no good. The fly continued to bite, and the dwarf could see nothing but blood. A sharp pain filled his head." And it's, you know, it's pretty simply told there, but it, it does amplify it in a way. I like the small detail of the really pointless blowing it, trying to blow it away and blow it off. Yeah. It's, it's just well observed enough. It's subtle enough. It's obviously not incredibly subtle with some of the way the blood comes into it and blinding him and everything, but it's subtle enough in that. And I think just the pace of that made, again, it amplified this kind of mundane annoyance that a lot of people would know, having a fly buzz around you, into a real contest. And so sort of gave it that myth feeling that kind of epic feeling and yeah i enjoyed that moment i I hope that there are more moments like that that move at that kind of pace yeah i I enjoyed that too and i wrote down as i was like taking notes i was like literal blood and sweat and then when he bit the eyelids i was like there's the figurative tears (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's a great point actually i wonder if that's a game in invention yeah. <laughs> sort of playing off of uh, one of the common cliched labor expressions of our time. Yeah. How about for I, I you really to that. Yeah, how about for you to please continue? Something you liked? Yeah. Um so kind of like building off of um when the stories actually like take the time to really develop. Um I also really enjoyed uh the metaphors and the similes that um Gaiman uses and actually this is that's where I see mo- um Gaiman's particular style that I'm familiar with um the most obviously. So mm-hmm. where we see it's really like short and to the point, but the comparison is there and it's clever. It's often humorous and it's a great way to characterize um, whatever is being described. So for example, on page 136, um, the story of the, the two dwarves who stole um, 
who killed Kavasir and made the mead. Yeah, um, yeah. According to Kavasir's own directions. Um, <laughs> well, when you know everything that's going to happen, you're burdened with that too. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Your own death. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the when they killed the um, the two giants who came to visit, and then the sun came out and like was exacting his revenge on them um, by having them slowly drown. Um, the giant pulled him ba- pulled them back into the boat after they made a deal, and he says he tossed them, still bound and soaking, into the bottom of the boat where they wriggled uncomfortably like a couple of bearded lobsters. That's from page 136. And I really liked that because it's such a great comparison. It's like bearded lobsters is such a ridiculous image to think of to yeah, highlight yeah. how how small and ridiculous and, and kind of helpless these two creatures are. Um, so I thought that was a great way to characterize them. Yeah. And then in that same story on page 150, we have um, when Odin approached the hall, he began to spit. And this is after he had got drank all the, the mead. A fountain of mead spurted from his beak into the vats one after another, like a father bird bringing food for his children. I remember that one. Yeah. So this one was a great image because, well, it's kind of like gross, right? I mean... Yeah, I've never right. enjoyed that image and sort of, I feel like movies have done similar scenes as kind of playing up the comedy of it, but yeah. something about regurgitated food is never funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> really Yeah, gross. and especially when you pair it with like what happens at the end of that story, right, where it right. comes out the other end. Right, um, right. Yeah, so, but it's like... What I really liked about that, too, is it's a great characterization of Odin as well, where he is the all-father. He's the one who's supposed to kind of, like, take care of everyone, and he's, like, the fatherly figure. So that's a great comparison as well in that respect. So stuff like that where we see characterization and also just, like, kind of funny imagery and, like, it's it's a comparison that you wouldn't necessarily make in your own mind. I think that that's where Gaiman's personal style is, like, the most obvious. Yeah, completely. And he does like to inject humor into things, though the it's odd. I've read three of his or actually maybe four of his major works. I've read a bit of Sandman, which is a graphic novel series, and I read American Gods graveyard book. And I read the one he did with Terry Pratchett, Good Omens, which is Mm -hmm. that's just an outright comedy. So I guess I'll leave that one out. But American Gods and graveyard book, I don't remember humor in them, but I read them a very long time ago, though. But I. I, th- he is known for this kind of having imbuing things with a certain humanity and but yeah. anyway this is all just to say i just building up to say there have been small moments of humor for sure usually in kind of the pettiness of the gods is where i felt that the most just sort of the way they treat each other and they're sort of i don't know they're they're almost trying to be human in their faults but yeah i don't know if you felt the humor a lot or if it's been deployed in other ways i think it's a lot of it's a lot more subtle um yeah yeah but yeah the like Loki and Thor's relationship, I think is where we see a lot of that humor, even the frustration of like in that first story, the the story of like how the gods got their gifts with Loki as a fly. And I found that really humorous too, because I'm just imagining this fly, like showing frustration and (laughs) yeah. 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 That, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I I suppose humor writing is challenging to be sure. I guess I've just found the writing that one, it's almost that one notch too state or too reserved to be full comedic to me at times. But yes, there's definitely, if you read into it or if you just look at the, if you step out for a moment and just look at the sort of plot of things, they can be absurd and kind of goofy, silly at times. Yeah. So it's definitely in there. It's imbued in there. I'll jump yeah. into my Make It Stop, and I think ours might relate in this one. I chose one randomly, but I'll, I'll go big first and then get into my specific. I don't think these are meant to have rules and world building in the sense of laws, consistency, and the things that happen in myths and the kind of occurrences that can pop in and out or the things that can pop in and out. It can be frustrating to read. The one I focus on is that things will change size without explanation, apparently. It seems Mm -hmm. that any entity at any time can shrink or grow itself, especially giants. I... And I get that it's not a fantasy world in the contemporary sense of we expect it to have complex systems or, you know, in sci-fi too, right? There's supposed to be rules at play. You're supposed to have laws of the world and sort of what things are you deciding on and you have to play by your own rules, all that stuff. I just don't think that goes for mythology, but it, it doesn't make it fun to read, though. It, it can be absurd or random to the point of 
can feel meaningless or cheap. I wrote down on 86 the wall building story. That was a moment that just felt cheap to me and not very interesting where they got to the end and they just revealed that it was... I forgot who it was. It was a mountain. Oh, he, he says here at the end. I forget his name, though. The builder, the, the wall builder they tricked. Yeah. It just says, he says, I am a mountain giant, he said, and you gods are nothing but cheats and vile oath breakers. If I still had my horse, I would be finishing your wall now. I would be taking the lovely Freya and the sun and the moon for my wages, and I would be leaving you here in the darkness and the cold without even beauty to cheer you. No oath was broken, said Odin, but no oath can protect you from us now. And then the mountain giant roared with anger and all that stuff. It just felt like a really unearned, kind of a random ending to that whole conflict and to the whole, I don't know, the whole um, sort of divide between the gods who are a bit lazy and don't want to do it themselves and the giant who has this incredible skill and strength that was hidden, you know, because he had shrunken himself. Yeah. It just, I don't know, I'm not really sure what the you know theme, so to speak, of that myth was meant to be, other than a lot of these deal with trickery and lies, but... It, I feel like moments like that can just feel limp and kind of unearned at the end of something. When, when you're relying on twists anyway, it's high risk in your storytelling if you just expect some big twist at the end to resolve everything. But that one stood out to me as just sort of the best example of, wait, I didn't even know that could happen. And so if you right. don't know something can happen, then how can it be exciting to when it finally happens? <laughs> and the same, right. you know, Thor's hammer can apparently just grow or shrink whenever he wants. And so, but once you know those things, then in future myths, it can be more interesting because you know them. But there are certain plot elements to this that can be frustrating when a thing occurs that you didn't know was possible. And I feel like in myths, those absurdities come pretty quickly and and are there a lot so yeah and who can and can't change right so the giants apparently can and odin can change shape but then do the other gods like we never see thor well, well so far we haven't seen no. thor himself he, the change. hammer hammer does it for him i guess right and but loki can right and and I mean, he can he, transform into animals at least yeah and apparently as that oh. animal he can give birth to horses because he was well, gods, the female <laughs> as we all know gods and goddesses can have unlimited sex with at any point with anything <laughs> frankly living or probably not probably inanimate objects are fair game for gods and goddesses i mean that's it's pretty yeah. clear based on all the other pa- ancient pantheons i know a little bit about that yeah the sex is always on the table and with loki i mean even just like halfway through the novel, we see that Loki has six kids. <laughs> six <Yeah>. kids. <laughs> Got to keep up with those alimony payments, man. No excuses. <laughs> Doesn't matter the time period, the place. Doesn't matter your stature or status, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's important to do it. Don't just tie your wolf son up and leave him out in the, you know, in the forest cruelly. You know, take care yeah. of him. Old right. Fenrir. What was your make it stop then? Is it similar? It is pretty similar. So I I talked about like, yeah, there are general inconsistencies. And to be fair, Neil Gaiman does address that in his introduction. He says, yes, there are inconsistencies. He tried to kind of mitigate that as much as he could while still staying true to the stories that, you know, he had studied. So I don't fault him for that. But what I find like kind of for me what was the most irksome for me and and just kind of like bewildered me the most i suppose is just the the treatment of wisdom uh was very weird to me and i was yeah, i'm not yeah. quite sure how to i i guess like deal with that <laughs> in my mind um so odin does pretty much everything he can to become the wisest of of all the gods but he doesn't actually make great decisions, right? He, right. like, has those dreams and those visions, and he just, like, kind of was like, well, I'm just going to, well, my vision showed me this, so I'm going to enact my vision exactly instead of maybe I should do the opposite of the vision to avoid Ragnarok, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And he still relies on Loki to make some of those decisions, too, like with the, the wall builder, right? They, they all turn to Loki instead of turning to Odin, for wisdom there, right? Like, mm-hmm. what? Why, why would you a, go to Loki? <laughs> Odin is a largely inactive bum. He, in right. all of his, all of his big moments of heroism, godliness, or sort of, and I know I used this expression earlier, oddly, but off screen or off page, it's, uh, we, we know he did some things. We know he sacrificed his eye. We know he hung himself, but those things are not, and we also know he created humanity. He breathed life into the clay that those other two gods were there to make or something similar to that. But yeah, yeah, it's just not, none of it is that detailed and he doesn't, he hasn't had actually any adventures or anything. He hasn't been able to show his knowledge. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, like when we do get a story of Odin, it's the the poetry one, and he's just like he kills the the guys through trickery. Right. He tricks the giantess into sleeping with him so that he can get the the mead. That just makes him an asshole. Like it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like again trickery. It's it's he's like another Loki almost. Right. Right. Um. And then Kvasir, the guy who gets killed for poetry. He knew, right? Yeah, he looks yeah. at the dwarves and he tells them exactly how to like kill him and then make his body into poetry mead. Like what? What? <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. What? And he's just supposed to be the, the wisest one too. <laughs> all for all for the art form, you know. Anyway, so uh, these these wise beings seem to be making some really unwise decisions. And right, right. and then these other characters like Fenrir and Freya, the female, right, who keeps everybody keeps trying to marry her. They're right, like, right. you guys are stupid. You guys are making terrible decisions. What are you doing? Yeah, and yeah. they just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, Fenrir calls him on it directly and refer. I think Fenrir might even also reference Ragnarok or something and says, does, yeah. "I could have been your ally." I know you you covered that well. Yeah. And Freya, too. Freya, like, looks and she's like, why are you guys going to trust Loki? He is the least trustworthy. Why are you guys going to make this deal with this giant? You guys are being stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those are moments I've enjoyed. And that's where I wonder, this is an analogy I'm going to use to sort of set my expectations against what I was thinking going into this, right? Imagine a, a straight line slider from left to right. Right being 100% the original myth, left being 100% Neil Gaiman original. I Mm -hmm. I guess I just thought it would slide more left. I I really Mm -hmm. thought he would kind of work these over a bit more as raw materials. But I I do think some of those oddities, inconsistencies, and all that stuff has been retained from the original. And the foreword was an enlightening and illuminating read. And to anyone who dives into this, if you've listened to this and haven't read it, then, you know, go pick it up or something. But yeah, I just think that is such an, like when we do the recommendation, that is going to be something I'll highlight or try to both the, his explanations for what his process was and then also the cast of characters, really yeah. essential stuff just because it it does, I mean, when you get into reading myths, it is its own genre and sort of writing style expectation and all of that. So that is still present here. I really thought he would push it more to that left on that uh, imaginary slider, but it is, it's more myth than game in, at least in my mind so far. Yeah, I don't, yeah that, that comparison or contrast feels maybe arbitrary, but if you're doing if you're thinking of it that way, I feel like it's pushed more towards the myths than giving game and just free reign to kind of rework it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and like I uh, I pointed out earlier, the the pieces of Gaiman himself as a writer, I think, are are going to be in the the pieces where we see some of those similes and metaphors and some of that subtle humor that For he sure. plays up. Yeah. Yeah, stylistically very readable, and yes, it has a little modern touches. I read the quotes from the end of the wedding one, like the little small brief banter that Loki and Thor have did, did feel rather, yeah, rather modern, updated. It's, it's you know, the characters are very readable in terms of their language, ma- manners of speaking, all that stuff. So, yeah. but yeah, the, the plots remain odd, inconsistent, <laughs> and can have frustrating, yeah, you're, you're not sure, maybe by the end of the collection we'll have a greater thesis statement about wisdom or knowledge here, but all I can yeah. say for sure is that they'll do anything to get it, <laughs> to protect it, to save it. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't even really know what it is. Like you pointed out some of the time, it seems they're just they going to misuse it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they could find better applications for it. But yeah, it's they definitely want it desperately. That much is obvious. Okay, yeah. let's end the first part of the book club then, Amanda, with the final segment. That is the big, bold prediction. Now, I kept this in because... So these myths are basically... You go myth by myth. They have some consistency between them, but they're also standalone. You know, they Mm -hmm. they do feel like little short stories to me. However, we can do the big, bold prediction, I think, because we already know how the story ends. (laughs) It's going to end in Ragnarok because that's it's told up front that the end of the world is Ragnarok. That's the end of the gods and all life. I don't know what exactly will happen then. And I'm pretty sure that'll be the final chapter. Um, I haven't looked ahead, but I feel confident to say that. And so I guess I'm going to make my prediction about Ragnarok. You can make yours about anything. It, it is I difficult. I also made mine about Ragnarok. Yeah, it is difficult to make predictions about short stories because they can change from story to story. You, do, you never really know. But at any rate, let's end with a big, bold prediction. Why don't you go ahead with yours first then about Ragnarok? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I based my prediction on the motif that I pointed out earlier, which is the idea of opposites. 
Yeah. So right. I'm going to guess that there's something to do with freezing cold mist. Um, perhaps specifically when Loki's son Fenrir eats the sun. Um, and the reason for that is the world begins with fire and ice. And oh, on yeah. page 30, we know that Sutra, Surter. <laughs> yeah, however you want to go about it. He's the guy with the flaming sword, yeah, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, yep. Who lives in the the fiery parts of, of yeah, Moose, the, Moose the Belheim or Moose Belheim? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever it's called. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. Tough, tough one for names. I, I did not pick yeah. wisely here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Surter, Surter will leave his station. He will go forth from Moosebel, Moosebel, with his flaming sword and burn the world with fire and one by one the gods will fall before him so we have the fire aspect there and based on just how often opposites come into play i know that he's supposed to fight the giants and the giants live in some parts of like the cold world but then also some parts are described as like almost spring-like i'm not 100 sure jotunheim giant land yeah yeah, which is partially ice, but also there's like fields of like wheat and flowers to describe. So I don't, I'm not 100% sure on that. Anyway, right. um, there's, I, I think that there's going to be some kind of cold aspect, perhaps in the environment, or like I said, with Fenrir eating the sun, there's definitely going to be some freezing going on too. Yeah. Yeah, these are really solid ones. I do wonder, my prediction is more about what will be the leading up to that, because the searcher quote is so great, and it makes it very clear, though. I wonder, you know, will the gods battle him then? Will they just give in and, you know, since they know this is going to occur, they've already got Heimdall set up with the horn, with the Galar right. horn or whatever. You know, are they just going to give in to this right away or fight it? My prediction is that what will lead to this is another disappearance of Thor's hammer, which happened in the wall building. Was it the wall yeah. building one? Or I can't remember, mm, but that yeah, was the, the one... one- Mm-hmm. after that it was like two after that or something like that yeah it was just the whole wall building motivation was that it's clear they don't really have defenses and they do seem f- to be afraid of other beings from the other realms or you know parts of the yggdrasil and so that you know they really wanted that wall for protection it does bring into question how powerful the gods really are but anyway and i think that it's just thor's hammer has been such a simple conflict resolver in this story <laughs> mm-hmm. and so i don't know how it's going to get tricked away from him maybe he brags or you know is a little vain and it kind of loses it or it gets stolen again because there was the one where thor stole it or sorry loki stole it from thor so it could be some illusion or trickery like that and you know at, at some point fenrir is going to show up he might just be able to eat it or something or like you know eat thor eat the hammer and something like that because he's clearly such a immense being so powerful i'm not really yeah. sure how it's going to happen but in the in the cause and effect domino chain i imagine the absence of thor's hammer will be a pretty big one since that has just been a quick way, way to resolve godly issues <laughs> when the gods have yeah. drama that's kind of their easiest method of solving it and so i it would surprise me if thor fought with the hammer against suture i guess maybe that could happen though too and perhaps even his might is not enough against the inevitable but i suppose we'll you know we'll find out in that chapter yeah yeah thor's hammer you know it's potent but it can't always rely on it. it's not always going to be there for you sometimes you yeah. wake up and it's gone why Why is Thor, like, how are these giants getting in and stealing stuff from the gods in the first place? Another I know. inconsistency. Yeah. And then, like, why would Thor, knowing that they can do that, why would he just leave it out in the open for anybody to take? Drinking like, all that mead and you just forget <laughs> things, you know? Yeah. You go to bed in a stupor and you wake up confused and some yeah. things are gone, you know? We've all, we've all been there with our wallets and phones and other precious items. It's true. Our equivalent of the hammer these days. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on the Norse mythology so far now that we're through one half of it, Amanda? Um, I know that we like talked about some of the negative aspects, but actually I, I'm, I am enjoying it. I, I find this more enjoyable thus far than the um, other myths and fables that you and I have, have reviewed. Yeah, it's, a, it's, been a, it's been a more delicate touch than I was hoping, but definitely enough to make them readable and I think fun. But mm-hmm. yeah, genre-wise, you just have to buy in. I, I really thought it might be to the level of that he was going to just blow these up and make them not even myth-like or something or kind of lose those ambiguous, odd qualities, which right. is definitely not the case, and that's perfectly fine. I, we'll talk about that when we do our recommendation, too, since this has been the deep dive. But yeah, yeah I think once you know going in that it's not, it is a more delicate touch 
than than not and yeah that i think has affected some of it but i found it so so brisk and readable and yeah it's you have to get on board with some of the absurdities but they can be really fun and kind of the oddities are intriguing yeah yeah i've enjoyed them too well, with that, let's wrap up this book club part one. As always, our book clubs come out on Friday, so if you're going to continue reading Norse mythology, which we hope you do, please check back on the feed next Friday. The book clubs will always be out on Fridays. The next books in order, I'm just going to read them off quickly, um, though we're reading Norse mythology right now. So the next uh, two books in order we know for sure are going to be The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid and The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Go look those up. We're not going to talk about them too much longer. Just check the feed for the book recommendations for those in the coming weeks. We'll post episodes for those shortly, and we'll be talking about those and recommending them, trying to persuade you. You can find us on social media. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram. Both are at the Lightly Literary Podcast, one word. Please follow us. Tell your friends. Like and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. Yeah, and then the other book we're doing is Native Speaker. There you go. Yeah, so you just typed that in <laughs> by Chang Ray Lee. So anyway, we've got books coming up if this hasn't been your... So much your vibe. We have very different things on the horizon. Any final thoughts, Amanda? Uh, Nope, I'm good. Excellent. Okay, well, as ever then, we'll see you next week, and we will see you between the pages.